everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of Beers, Business, and Balls. We made it. We survived 10 episodes and we didn't get kicked out of any streaming platform to date. Jake Zimmer, Will Tondo, please help us keep it that way. Uh, thanks for all the engagement over the past 10 weeks. This has been really fun and enjoyable. Um, this is Monday, June 15th, which is nuts considering we started this back in April. Um, had the chance to see you, Will, this weekend and uh, all the boys. Uh, I turned 23 this weekend. That was fun. I am still hungover two days later. Um, <laughs> when you turn 23, the hangovers get even worse. I did not know that. But we're alive, and I, I've been pounding water all weekend. So that's uh, not a lot of beers, business, and balls besides Friday, honestly, which um, is good. You still recovering over there or what? I mean, I've been I've been doing well. I ripped a 15-mile bike ride today. I saw some friends and went to the brewery, went to uh, an Italian restaurant. I got some sun. I'm just doing all the last bit of I can before I get my tonsils out this upcoming Wednesday. So just enjoying the summer sun and uh, just trying to stay positive. Yeah, significant development, too, that you just alluded to. I was going to save it for the end, but we're here now. Let's just address the elephant in the room. Uh, our dear Will is out of commission for the next at least one or two episodes. Um, tonsil surgery, which is nuts. Uh, I'm on the 10-day IL. Um, <laughs> it's been four years. It's a nagging in uh, injury. Uh, I'm sorry to all the people that I've ever roomed with. I snore like a trucker. <laughs> that's even a term i don't even know but it's more like a trucker do truckers snore is that a I thing i don't know i don't know we'll <laughs> we'll throw it on a t-shirt but the time has come we are finally getting this over with and yeah but no worries the episodes and the podcast will not be disrupted we have some pre-recorded interviews that we'll have lined up so you get still get to hear my lovely voice for two more weeks and jake will take over um just some of the quick rapid fire stuff that he's going and we may have a surprise guest or two uh hopping in as a relief pitcher for me so keep an update on that i know the one gentleman is wicked excited even though he couldn't beat me in a shotgun race to get full rights <laughs> um but that's all right i'm happy that he'll get to talk about his portfolio in the stock market and uh, whatever he knows about sports, but he has not not an idea on craft beer. No, no sense of beer in his taste buds <laughs> or his palate. We, if you are loyal and you're following us on Instagram, you know exactly who's going to be hopping on for ten minutes or so. The full bet was funny. It was if Tondo wins, which he did according to Instagram, <laughs> not even close. It was. Basically, I think 10 minutes on one episode, right? If correct, yes. Yeah, so the, the, if Tonda wins, the other person, <laughs> the, the special guest, as you have alluded to, gets 10 minutes to talk about stocks on one episode. If you had lost by some miracle, you gave up your hosting rights for two full episodes, and it was just going to be me and him for 45 minutes. I was going to be replaced. Minutes. I would have been traded. <laughs> I would have been out of there. You, it might have been. It might have been Beers, Business, and Balls with Jake Zimmer featuring other guests. That would have been <laughs> – I would have shut down the Instagram. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, but that'll be cool. Like you said, I'll be 
keeping things current. We'll start it off, you know, 10, 15 minutes, just so you're not listening to uh, an episode that's weeks old. We'll keep it nice and refreshed with some news. And we've got at least three killer interviews over the next couple of weeks, too. Um, really great people. Uh, you're going to like our conversations with them for sure. This week, we have a good friend of mine uh, and yours, Will, for about four or five years now. We met him when he came up to speak at Bryant. That was when I recruited him to kind of kick off his speaking career in a way up at Bryant. Um, that was former NFL player Marcus Ogden. We're so happy to have him on. Uh, we talk about everything, really. We talk about business. We talk about sports. Uh, when the NFL is coming back, uh, Marcus has a pretty interesting take on when um, fans are going to be back allowed in NFL stadiums, too. I think that's something that the average fan would not know that Marcus told us. So maybe a little insider intel on his end. Uh, we'll get to all that in a bit. Um, because of that, we cover a lot of different topics, if you will, in Marcus's interview. So again, quick rapid fire, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes before the interview. We'll start off as we always do with the cheers. Uh, this is something that I'm going to be doing solo for the next couple of weeks. I'll be drinking by myself, hosting a podcast. So let's. I'll be there in this. spirit, and I'll yeah. I'll hop on the I'll hop on the Zoom call still and listen. And now in my head, <laughs> if I agree and shake my head, if I don't, well, I'm all surgeryed up, and I'll have my non-alcoholic apple juice. Or <laughs> I tears. thought you were gonna say like non-alcoholic beer, like or an like ghouls or something. Chicken, or like chicken broth. Who knows? I have I have no <laughs> idea what to expect. But no matter, we're going to cheers just to just to we're getting through it. You know, I think, you know, we had a very I would say negative past couple weeks. And I feel that now that the summer's breaking, um that we're we're heading back into the right direction. It's nice to see local businesses thriving, uh, outdoor seating in many states and many locations, and people coming together after all of these riots and protesting and rallying around the cause of Black Lives Matter. And you know the stock market had its ups and downs, but I just I feel like we're in the right direction with things. So we're just gonna cheers to happiness. That's great. What do you got for your beer selection? I have a nectar blender from one of my favorites at greenport harbor brewery it's a nice new england style ipa um off the top of my head i believe it's a seven and a half percent um it's very it has a good aroma it's kind of tropical uh very very i would say hazy and just full of flavor um it's just one of those again those good summer beers that you just crack open uh, you get a nice buzz going and you just enjoy the warm weather. So I'm giving it a four out of five. I really enjoy it. They're actually starting to can them up uh, pretty soon again. I just had it on draft, but Nectar Blender, man, it's a great beer. Greenport Harbor. That's a place on my list for the summer for sure. I haven't been there and it's been two years now. We talked about it a couple of days ago. Um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped. I, I need to be sitting somewhere on a picnic table drinking a Nice, hazy New England IPA. I've been saying that for five weeks, and all you people fucking relentlessly haze me for not drinking an IPA. And you're just drinking, drinking stouts, stouts and when it's a, and, Dude, I know. I get it's it. It's 75 <laughs> degrees in June, and you're drinking a stout. I, mean, I don't I hate the move, it. but... I understand it. I get it. I get it. All you people, stop DMing me. Um, here's something for you. If you want 
the haziest authentic thing you can get well not really hazy but like a nice juicy new england ipa i'm drinking my my homemade beer from my uncle scott uh dropped it off as a birthday gift on friday it's a new england ipa he's a home brewer runs in the family some might say as uh as we are starting batch number four um the the New England IPA that my uncle dropped off, I just had, uh, full disclosure, I'm not drinking it right now. I had it uh, about 15 minutes ago. I finished it. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Give it a four. Um, he used like Citra and I think maybe Galaxy or something else for hops. I think he dry hopped it at some point. Absolutely delicious. That's a summer beer. That is the summer beer I want to be drinking all day if we're drinking homebrew. So sign me up. There's going to be a lot more of that coming. Uh, we owe a long life a trip, certainly, to uh, pick up whatever they've got. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to when we can finally be outside on a picnic table or a lawn chair just drinking a New England authentic IPA. We owe Treehouse a visit. I owe them we a do. donation. <laughs> a quarterly donation. Please. They... <laughs> do you think if we buy enough beer at Treehouse, it becomes tax deductible? <laughs> can we just can spend it as a donation it, like, if you go to treehouse and you're just going for like your one beer ticket and grabbing like six cans you're doing it wrong like you need to go to treehouse and like pull out a dolly yeah if you or don't, at least then... or at least buy one of every can available and i did that one time when you and i went for my 21st birthday i think i only got like 12 or 13 beers but I got one of each and I was happy with that. I think I was okay. It's a little bit of I everything. Think the, right. The only way that you can get away with not walking out with the dollies, if you live five minutes down the corner from there, That is true. in which case, you know, you go grab a pint with some friends, you're hanging out, blah, blah, blah. You're going back to, you know, take a couple of cans of the fire, you know, hang out with the dogs, some shit like that. If you're living more than 30 or 40 minutes away, you need to be walking out with a hundred dollar debt in your pocket. Yeah. No, definitely. And that's like the one good thing about Treehouse, though. It's like it is very on par with all the other breweries. It's not like you're going to Treehouse and like it's a five star beer and you're paying five star prices. It's very it's very fair and reasonable with the rest of the market. Yeah, you know, I agree. Like, especially like when they sell like the individual cans, like by the dollar amount, you know, it's like, oh, like Julius for like five dollars and fifty cents a can or something like that you know it's like oh okay well i'll take 12 <laughs> like if you say it like that you're making me feel better that's true for sure um to close out beers as i just alluded to we started number four it's a german alt beer i'm not gonna lie i'm concerned for sure um i am not nearly as optimistic as i was with the other three beers it was we, we've narrowed it down to two things well, actually, no, it's just one thing. I think it's a yeast. Yeah, I don't know. We, we went to a new brewing store just because we were kind of lazy with the drive. And with COVID and everything, they have really weird hours. They're open like four to seven. And then like they're closed all mornings. And then like they're also closed like every other day. It was just like- Yeah, it was closed on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. I mean, what are you doing? And it's like, okay, so we went to this other one and we needed a very specific yeast the live yeast which is what we like to use and the guy was like oh yeah whatever i have in the mini fridge so i go into the mini fridge and 
he didn't have any live yeast, so there was there was no need to have it in the fridge, which kind of confused me. And then he didn't have what I had, what I needed, so I just grabbed like five or six different packets of like they said like what is it like just the quick start yeast? Pretty much, it's a it's a safe ale dry yeast, yeah. so you have to make a starter for it. Basically, you have to the difference for you uneducated folk uh, on beer yeast is liquid yeast is so easy to put into a beer. So basically you brew beer for about an hour or so and you let it ferment, but you need to put yeast on it to activate the chemicals so that alcohol is produced pretty much. When you have liquid yeast, it's a lot easier to see the results quicker um, because it's quite literally yeast in its most alive form. But we use dry yeast, so you have to kind of play around with it a little bit. You have to activate it in heat. You got to put some sugar in it mix it up real good. Um, I think we did everything right, but I think we might've also been working with some dead yeast. I have no idea. I genuinely don't know if we fucked it up. We also could walk back into our apartment and it could be fine. Exactly. But I don't know. I'm not too worried about it. I think we, I mean, we did all of the right things and we were very careful with it. So I think it'll be good. I hope so for sure. Uh, that's really it for beers. Um, Let's hop into business now. What a weird week in the market. I There were days this week early when I woke up, or last week, I should say. I woke up and I go, what the hell's going on? I'm making so much money today. I'm up you know, 5 10%, whatever it is. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday comes around and you go, holy shit, I hate this game. I hate this game so much. Dow Jones down 2 to 3%. Of course, when the Dow Jones goes down, that's pretty represent, representative of the whole market. Um, I don't know on this uh, on this topic. I have a few possible suspects for this. I think it's that the COVID cases are spiking in some states. I think that there's more of a plan outlined now for travel returning, but it's not going to really be at anywhere where it used to for a few more months. And I think that the the whole picture of it coming together is really spooking some people. And then the same thing with sports. Right, the leagues are planning to come back, which is great. It was moving in the right direction. The market goes up a little bit, and then the restrictions come out about how far the fans have to be apart, what they're going to do for tickets, all that stuff. Even just the conversations of these kinds of things. I don't know. Maybe that's. I, I think those are three legit reasons why the stock market's going down. To be honest with you, or has been for the past couple of weeks or days, I should say. Yeah, this week was one of those weeks where. Every moment I was on my phone, I was looking at the market because, you know, the week before I was at all time highs with a lot of things and I moved a lot around in my portfolio. I sold off that healthcare company, Livongo, um, that pretty much quadrupled in value when I purchased it. And I sold off my Ford shares that nearly doubled of what I bought them. So I was happy with that, but I wanted to obviously reinvest in some things. So I bought Smith and Wesson. I bought a couple more cannabis stocks and ETFs. I bought um, a mineral ETF, which was kind of interesting. They do like gold. It was something someone recommended. I bought Duncan. I bought GE. I bought Peloton. And then I, of course, and they all did well. I mean, the this week they took some hits, but I know they'll recover back. But my big one was shout out to Ben Allen, Matt DeVito, Matt Goss, whoever told us, you know, there's multiple people <laughs> saying they said different things, but Nikola. 
NKLA was a big pump and dump. Now, I hopped into the party. I had them on my radar when they were also trading under, I, I believe it was VTIQ, um, before they went public, uh, Nikola itself. So I had them on my radar. It was one of them like, in my notes app where I was just like listing off the stock. But I picked up them, I believe it was at like $32. And I got a handful of shares at that. It shot up on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, yeah. 90 something dollars. And I was like, I'm hopping out of this. So I, all you people that are going to fact check us, I know it. You're going to be like, no, it stopped at 79 bucks. After it hours. went to 95 after hours. Yeah. So you are exactly right. And like I said before, it was one of those weeks where every time I was on my phone, I was checking the stock market. And once I saw it hit 90, I was like, I'm out. I was like, it's going to drop. <laughs> and the next day it dropped all the way back down to $55. Yep. And what did I do? I hopped back in the game. I was like, <laughs> I was just like a drunk. You play with a, house money at that point. I was playing, I was playing like a drunk at a casino. I wanted more. And I hopped back in. I bought a couple shares at 55 and I'll probably just dump them when they hit like 70. I don't want to play the game anymore, but Overall, yeah, it was definitely a weird, very weird week. Um, yeah, and like, kind of like you mentioned, are we heading into another buy period? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think mean, if you ask, um, I always get the bears and bulls mixed up, but the, the less optimistic of the two. If you ask them, it's probably a, a really good time to buy because um, I think we're, we're. I think we're. I was reading an article. We're in a bull market, which is what you want, right. that it's rising. But it also said this, the U.S. was in a recession. Yeah. So, it's so fucking weird. We talked about that with Zayd and Mani a couple uh, episodes ago. It's like, so I, I will never forget, I asked him, like, why are we in a recession now? And it's since come out that technically by the books we are in a recession, By the I books, guess. yes. Which, it still doesn't make any sense because... Our investor confidence is at an all-time high because people have yeah. like are wanting they're they're spending their money on this. Yeah, and then gas is cheap, groceries are cheap, and you're not going cheap. out. You're not going out to spend any money because there's nowhere to go. Think about 2008 when so many people lost their jobs and then they were paying 450 for gas. They can go out, you know, and they're making money on unemployment and they're getting gas for 170 somewhere. Their expenses aren't that big; like they don't have anywhere to go out. So. Not bad. I mean, it's it's been far worse, and I think that's probably why the investor confidence is high because people are are still spending money because they can. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, uh, the things that I'm reading, you know, the futures are pointing up and it's pointing green. So let's just hope we have a good week. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those things. I mean, you and I are both not big gamblers. You know, we'll we'll gamble on sports and yeah, like speak here and for there. speak for me only. I think, but. I'm not a big gambler. All right. I like to play some parlays <laughs> and win, but like when I, when I lose, I lose. And fun fact, I never lost a casino. So fuck right off of that. I've <laughs> never walked, I've never walked out of casino negative. All right. Okay. So fuck you one, two. Um, so there's no sports to gamble on. There's no friendly wages you can have. I mean, you play poker, but it's like what? 20 bucks here or there. The stock market's a thrill. It is. And I it's think a a, thrill. because it's stuff well, that we, you like, you, you, 
are interested in certain companies and you're interested in certain industries and you like, you love watching the graphs and the analysis of like, Oh, it's down. Let's buy. It's high. Let's sell. It's a fun game. It's a dangerous game. I'm not, again, we're not stockbrokers. We're not financial advisors. So don't take this with a grain of salt and like, don't, don't listen to us to spend your money. We're just the common man telling you that what stocks look good and which ones don't based off our eyes, but it's a fun game. It certainly is a fun game. And I think, you made a great point when you're like, yeah, you know, all these like, I got great advice even just a couple of weeks ago from a friend's dad, and it's so simple, but it kind of rounds out the whole perspective of what we're doing here. And it's like you have to invest in the companies what you believe in is basically oh yeah uh, what what the whole uh, I guess substance of the message was and. When you think about it like that, I mean, it's so simple because it sounds like, you know, you could teach a fifth grader that, but with all this complex financial analysis and all this stuff and like figuring out when the right time to buy is, it's like, all right, at the end of the day, do they have a product that's going to last or does it suck, right? Mm -hmm. This is one that's really interesting. This is going to be the stock of the week. Uh, we're, we've got to rise an express spa, XSPA. So let's run it through the whole, do we believe in the products kind of deal. Um, these are the people that are doing the COVID screenings at airports. I'm no fucking scientist, but I will tell you that <laughs> if they're going to win some kind of contract for airports, I sure as shit believe in those products. I've, I believe that they're going to be used and used very well. So um, there's been some, not controversy, I think is the wrong word, but I guess uh, low investor, well, not really low investor confidence either. Um, it's iffy. It's iffy on their outlook because, you know, they just had a reverse split. The stock was trading too low. They were growing too fast. So uh, they cashed in on a three-for-one reverse split. Um, I think they're, they, they closed market on Friday at about five bucks. Once they, in the next couple of weeks, have their hardware established and have their algorithm established, I think we're going to see some soaring with this. So I would get in now. I'm in now, personally. Um, but talking about the believing of the products, I, I think I'm in on this. No, I agree. And there's another one that I want to touch upon too, real quick. Um, and Matt DeVito, our friend showed me this one. It's Moderna. Um, they are trading under MRNA. They're around $60 a share. They are the company that is creating the COVID vaccine. Right. So analysts are saying to buy, um, since I hopped in, I mean, it's been up, I think $10 a share over the past two, two and a half, three weeks. So it's definitely a slow riser, but once that vaccine hits and that's pretty much what they're saying is the answer now, because social distancing is kind of getting thrown out the window with all the protests and <laughs> yep. all of the restaurants opening up. I mean, like I went to church this morning and all the pews are spread out and stuff like that. But then like there's a procession line out the door. <laughs> like, I mean, once you're yeah. outside, you're outside, you know, it's like social distancing is kind of thrown out the corner. So it's pretty much just going to be a vaccine at this point. Um, but they're the company that's creating it. So keep an eye out on, keep an eye out on them as well. Yeah. Our two stocks of the week are, are COVID related for sure. And who knows? Maybe it could be a bust, but I think it, it, there's a lot of hype around these. So hopefully they get the love they deserve. We've got uh, one, two, three, four, I think five topics real quick. We'll rapid fire for balls. Um, this has been big news 
in the baseball world, if you like baseball like us and we love baseball, I'm so sorry for all the shit that has happened uh, over the past couple of weeks. The MLB owners and the Players Association are still miles apart from an agreement on baseball returning. We This is coming after weeks that we've been talking about the NBA coming back. The NHL coming back. Football going to start on time, hopefully, with some fans. Um, and the owners and the Players Association and MLB are the ones that can't figure it out. Uh, basically, if you are trying to figure out what side you want to be on, I'll make it real easy for you. The players want a full prorated salary, which is more than reasonable because if Mike Trout, let's take an example. Some say that he's the best baseball player in the game right now. He is going to make $36 million this year as his contract stands. So, you know, his contract says 162 games that you have to play, you know, give or take, you know, with the injuries and all that stuff in one full year. And you only play one third of the season, which is 54 games. You make a third of your salary, which is $12 million. Pretty reasonable, right? The owners, for whatever reason, don't like that deal. And they want to pay him a fraction of that. They want to pay him, you know, around half of it, or as some cases, maybe 33% of that. And I'm not talking about the grand salary. I'm talking about his full prorated salary. They want to slash it down under like six or five million bucks because they're not bringing in any revenue. Um, and then Darth Vader, Rob Manfred, the commissioner. Uh, at the end of the day, he can do whatever he wants. So he's just sitting back and watching him, uh, watching his league crumble without saying anything. And now he's going to impose a 48-game season, uh, and the owners can play their pay their players whatever they want. So bottom line is that they're going to play 48 games. They're going to somehow decide to crown a champion after <laughs> less than two months of baseball, and piss off all the players. So if you don't side with the players after that, I don't know what kind of crack you're smoking. Yeah, a couple quick points because it's just fucking disheartening. I mean, we're in June, and I just want to see Garrett Cole throw a pitch in a Yankee pin, in a Yankee pinstripes. I just want to see baseball. Like, I literally would do anything to watch like the Tigers play the 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 Pirates on like a <laughs> Tuesday at like eleven a.m. Like, I really don't fucking care, you know. But it is disheartening. Um, I understand. I mean, I am all for the players' side of this, but I do understand that like the MLB owners like aren't making a ton of money because of like everything going on. But then this fucking news comes out where the the league literally signs a deal for a billion dollars for broadcasting rights. <laughs> yep. You can't be in the middle of a conversation about we don't want to play the players and the players are asking for more money than they're being told that they're going to receive and then go out and break news that they fucking signed a billion dollar deal. It's like you have a billion dollars capital in your pocket, man. Yeah. Come on. That's ridiculous. The second point um, is with the whole prorated salaries. I mean, just in everyday business terms, it's like, oh, your, your yearly salary is $60,000, but you started work in June, so you're going to make a prorated. <laughs> right. It's like, I know in Ugh. the year 2020, I'm not going to make $60,000 because I started June 1st. I'm going to make the equivalent of $60,000 from June 1st to December 31st. That's just common knowledge. <laughs> so, and then, yeah, I know they, uh, the ML, the owners were like, well, we're going to give you Sunday players association to accept this deal or not. They're like, and the offer expires. They're like, okay, well we say no. And then fucking 
the commissioner who I'm convinced either doesn't like baseball or doesn't know baseball. It's both. It's both. I don't think he does either. I think he's a lawyer that they thought was well-spoken. I really do. He's making Goodell look good. Which, that's bad. That's really bad. The fact that Roger Goodell, who I've always hated, and I've really liked Manfred when he started, I thought he had some decent initiatives he wanted to bring, but God damn it, what I would do for Bud Selig back, who's now teaching classes at Wisconsin. Like, hey, good for him. He doesn't want to be any him. part of this. They're going to lose fans for baseball, but whatever. Whatever. Let's get to the next point. Yeah. <laughs> the next That'll probably, point is... this, will, this will all piss me <laughs> off, too. So I was going to say, this isn't much better. Um, we have a lot of Red Sox listeners on this chat, or on this podcast, rather. Um, I don't know why I said chat. I've been watching too much Twitch, I think. But Yankees were allegedly accused of cheating if you look on Twitter. But if you look at the facts, uh, you'll find out that that was clickbait. Um, So let's go over the facts for you Red Sox fans. They're like, you're just trying to cover it up. Here it is. Here's the facts. Friday, uh, June 12th, judge orders a letter that Rob Manfred sent to the Yankees. Not Aaron Judge, Um, a judge. Yes, (laughs) a a judge in a court. Um, You know, he orders that letter, which has been sealed for a while, from 2017, to be unsealed. Um, so everyone's like, okay, huh, what, are the, what kind of shit are the Yankees doing? And then it comes out. In 2017, which we knew, the Yankees and Red Sox were both fined some kind of amount after what the league deemed the improper use of a bullpen phone and an Apple Watch, which we know. The Yankees made a they had a, uh, an invalid bullpen phone call and the Red Sox were using the Apple watch. Great. Manfred writes in a press release at the time that the Yankees had violated a rule. This is a quote unquote from the New York post had violated a rule governing the use of the dugout phone and then continued to say, but that the substance of the communications over the phone was not a violation. And that, is what everyone is about 99% sure is going to be released uh, on Friday, th- this Friday, this upcoming Friday, the 19th. And the Yankees have some time to redact the names just to, um, you know, preserve identity and all that stuff. It's very clear in a sealed court document that we're about to see that the Yankees did not commit a crime. They did not no. cheat. And they were served with a complaint and they talked to Manfred. There was a misunderstanding. If you go back into the study as well from the MLB and from the New York Post, there were at least 15 clubs that were improperly, quote-unquote, improperly using video replay technology. Basically, the rules were unclear on what to do, and many teams believed that the way that they were using it in their own individual cases was okay. And the league said, all right, we understand this rule is not clear. Anyone who's ever used this video replay stuff in the past is off the hook because we didn't make the rules clear. But going forward, here's the rule, which laid out basically, okay, here's when it's acceptable to use a live feed. Here's when it's not. So for all you motherfuckers that want to basically just slander the Yankees and say they cheated, you don't have a lot of substance here. Sorry to break it to you. This is just Manfred who was already on the hot seat for all of this shit with the you know, baseball returning or not was like, what can I do to spark social media to get everyone off my ass? Let's just open this letter. Because again, there's no need to open this letter. There's literally like a 0.01% reason to open this letter. 
okay? I mean, we already knew this happened. And now you have people on Twitter saying, it's like, well, that makes so much sense because McCann went to the Astros and then the Astros Spare me. And it's like, oh, fuck yourself. Like, first of all, they exonerated McCann from any wrongdoing. Yeah. And he tried to stop it, first of all, in Houston. So, so I don't want to hear just look that in the shit. numbers. If you just look in the numbers, like, oh, the Yankees cheated. One, why did they win? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if we're the way just gonna, they were like, swinging in 2017, yeah. they were out fucking cheating. You know, I'm going <laughs> to call a spade a spade. I mean, the Astros in 2017 were the number one ranked team in regards to not striking out against opposing teams. The Yankees were like 17. Okay. <laughs> Do the Yankees just suck? I can hear like, it. I can hear it. Okay. You have guys on the fucking Astros that shouldn't be playing how they are. I mean, you see Jose Altuve on the road against good pitchers. He's fucking batting like 120. Okay. So don't tell me like the, it's just a, it's stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. Baseball is one of my favorite sports. And now it's like all the negative bullshit in the news. Well, they're making it hard to love. They're making it hard to love again. They are. It's they are horrible. They're going to have, you know, the NFL is going to be like up and running this year. And the NBA is making an exciting format, letting, you know, lower seated teams play. And, and, you know, they've always been very like, players can wear whatever sneakers they want and shit like that. Like you can't even wear fucking like customs cleats only one week in a year. These guys just want to express themselves and they're literally being suffocated. So yeah, it's nuts. I mean, how, and the whole initiative has been, you know, make the viewership younger and make the young fans want to, uh, to watch the game more. And then think about this 10 year old Johnny goes to his dad and says, yeah, dad, I want to watch some baseball. Well, what happened to the baseball players? And then when your dad tells you, Oh, sorry, it's hung up with the legal stuff. Baseball might not come back this year. They're going to fucking watch the NBA, and I don't blame them. I don't blame I have, these kids. They're going to go ball out on Giants jerseys and um, a, a, any, like, they're going to go and spend the money in the leagues that are playing money, or that are playing games, yeah. I should say. So, I have a hot take. I have a hot take. A-Rod shouldn't buy the Mets. He should just <laughs> try to be an official for the MLB. There's no way. They won't let him. He's too rational in his opinions. You can't say never to anything. They're, they're, the MLB will need a change eventually, and I think he could be a good fit. But that's a conversation for a different day. I mean, he would – if we want to break that now, I think he'd be a good commissioner. I agree with you. I just don't think it's going to happen. You never know. You never know. Not oh, God. Well, in some let, – let's move on. In some happier news um, and a little bit more uh, in relation to our conversation last week on – just the current events in America and the racial tensions. Um, NASCAR has been one of the first leagues to make some moves uh, towards a more inclusive uh, society for players, fans, uh, you name it. There has been a long, tra- long-standing tradition in NASCAR uh, where the Confederate flag is like a big thing. Um, and I did not know that until this week, actually. Um, I read an article on New York Post today basically said that you couldn't get more than 20 feet without seeing a Confederate flag in the stands or even on the infield sometimes too. They would wave it in championships depending on who it was. So I think this is a huge step. I think you have a, a black NASCAR driver, Bubba Wallace, who stands up and says, you know, I'm I'm not doing this. I'm not going to be racing if there's a Confederate flag around anymore. And he took a stand and uh, many, many, uh, if not all of them followed. I think, you know, the couple that didn't feel it was appropriate uh, they retired or they won't be moving forward with it so I think it's that that's very good of them and a step in the right direction of course definitely I would have to say it's I mean it should have happened years and years ago 
the Confederate flag should be only found in two places, a textbook and a museum. Right. You know, it was, it's one of those things that you don't want to remove these items and completely erase it because you need to learn about what happened. And, you know, we talked about it last week, how you need to educate. And that's why I believe they should still be in museums and in textbooks because, you know, like, what's that? That's a bad flag. You know, that was part of the country's history that, you know, we're embarrassed about, but we still need to learn. So it doesn't happen again. Yeah, on a learning. much lesser scale, it's like the uh, like the swastika and the, exactly. the Nazi flag. Exactly, so. you know, it's like, and it shouldn't be waving around at a tailgate. Right. So, yeah. So that's good. Uh, you're finding a lot of these different areas where it's like, oh shit, that should have been done a long time ago. So they're moving in the right direction, which is good. Again, the first step is to acknowledge, like, hey, this is really not good. So we're gonna acknowledge that it's not good and move on. So. Good on NASCAR. Um, two more things real quick before we hop into our interview with Marcus. Uh, Cam Newton, as of today, June 15th, is still a free agent. Pittsburgh has emerged, as we've talked about, as a potential landing spot for him. I want that. Could break. he go there? I want that. Yeah, we could, we could take the credit on that. We could. Um, but kind of odd. I mean, amidst all of this, Cam Newton still doesn't have a home. So this will be interesting. I think Pittsburgh is, is certainly growing more in my mind as a good place for him to play. A couple other places I think could probably be good, but he's still a free agent for now. So we're going to be following this for as long as he gets signed. Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot of big name players that haven't been signed yet. One that comes to mind for me, not a quarterback is Jadavion Clowney. Yeah. I mean, arguably one of the best edge rushing linebackers in the league. And obviously with Corona going on, it's, you know, teams are kind of just like waiting to see like what holes they need to fill. You know, the Giants came out as possible, but I don't see it. The Eagles maybe. Uh, Seattle wants him back, but he said he wants more money. Word on the street is the Browns offered him a big contract and he wanted Mm. even more. Um, And then I heard the Titans are in possible conversation. I mean, all, all teams would benefit from him. It's just especially this so late on like your agent and yourself you obviously you want to know your worth but it also is like okay what team is going to pay me the most if if money's your only issue yeah so i agree the nfl free agency is weird too like that because it's it's generally a more I feel like it's just more of an elongated process where they're going out and they're shopping contracts a little bit more than you'd see in, well, maybe not basketball because they're kind of doing the same thing. They're vetting out what city is going to make them the superstar. So you see that a little bit in football as well, I should say. I mean, if I was Jadavion Clowney and those were all the teams that were offering me, I would stay with Seattle. Yeah. You know, Seattle has a winning culture. Um, Not to say they all, all don't have winning cultures, but like, the Eagles are kind of wishy-washy. The Giants and the Browns are still trying to make that playoff push. And the Titans are just newly really good, yeah. you know. But Seattle makes the playoffs every single year. You have a great head coach who support who stands by his players. You have Russell Wilson, who's an incredible leader. And you have a great defense all around. I mean, like the Legion of Boom has been happening for years. <laughs> Even with every time they switch out pieces, I would stay in Seattle. But yeah. R.I.P. the Legion of Boom, man. They were sick. Yeah, they were 
that was like right when we were growing up and starting to watch football. It's like, yeah, Earl Thomas fucking laying a guy out, Camp Chancellor, all these guys like Sherman, of course, Sherman, was Bobby the, Wagner. Yeah, yeah he were, was the he was the ringleader, Sherman. Yeah. And now obviously he's sought greater pastures, but well, they won a Super Bowl know. and they they won a Super like Seattle did it right because Seattle had all these players that they drafted at like wicked low rounds. You know, Russell Wilson was like a third round or a fourth round pick. He wasn't supposed to even be the starter. You know, they had all these like Earl Thomas, like all those players you just mentioned, they were all drafted in a wicked low round. So they were all on rookie contracts. And then of course you bring in players like Marshawn Lynch and you had a very good line. Like they, they did what they had to do. I mean, they could have won more. They lost the one against the Patriots. They could have won two, but they, they won. And then obviously players are progressing in their careers and need more money and they had to pick and choose, but they're still a very good team. Yeah. So NFL, we've got to rise on. Uh, and then before we go into Marcus, uh, we wanted to really quickly bring up college football as well. We've got a, a quick shell of a top 25 teams that will run by. And then you know, I feel like it'll be fun in a couple of months to, to run this back and see how fucked up we were and how, uh, how right we were. And if there's any surprise teams that come up the ranks. Yeah, so this is our Beers, Business, and Balls way too early, top 25. Um, this is because, shout out my friend Chris Dulce, Roll Tide, came back from Alabama, and he's been texting us for weeks and weeks saying we got to do the way too early top 25. So <laughs> want to do it now so when the actual rankings come out, we can see how accurate we are. And we'll reassess in the fall and go further into detail. De- um, you know. <laughs> and let's complement this with the fact that we did no analysis whatsoever on this. We are just throwing it together. And if we're close, you bet your ass we're taking it to the bank. I will have to say, though, my top 10 I've had in my notes for a couple weeks. Yeah. That, like, these are the teams that are going. But from 11 to 25 are, like, pure guesses based off of, like, what other people are saying around and I kind of just like picked and choose what I like. So I'm going to rip through from the bottom to the top. So 25 Virginia tech, 24 Tennessee, 23 UCF, 22 Cincinnati, uh, 21 UNC, 20 Minnesota, uh, 19 USC in, in, in California, 18 Iowa, 17 Oklahoma state, 16 Utah, 15 Texas, 14 Michigan, 13 Oregon, 12 Wisconsin, um, 10 Texas A&M. I'm sorry. You forgot forgot 11. 11 11 (laughs) Texas A&M. And then 10 is Auburn, 9 is Notre Dame, 8 is Penn State, 7 is Oklahoma, 6 is Georgia, 5 is Florida, 4 is LSU, 3 is Ohio State, 2 is Alabama, and 1 is Clemson. Now let's go rip us for this. Put it, we're putting it on the Instagram and you, you rip us. If you think we're wrong, I will just go into detail for a couple real quick. LSU is ranked at four. I do not think they'll end up in the top four. Uh, that team just lost. I mean, they won the national championship and they had one of the best college football seasons ever, but they just lost all of their starters on offense and defense. So they're going to have a lot of new holes to fill and people need to step up. So, and I think just because they're in the SEC, you know, you have teams like, I think Alabama will beat them this year. And I think teams like probably Auburn, honestly, will beat them in the SEC. Um, I had Oklahoma fall a little bit just because they lost 
their quarterback to the draft, but I still think they're good. I think Georgia is sneaky. I think Florida is sneaky and can, and can hop up in the rankings. But I have Ohio State as three. They're always pretty consistent. Um, and the Big Ten's an easier conference. I have Alabama as two, which I think they'll remain in the top two. I have Alabama going to the national championship game. And then Clemson is one just because of Trevor Lawrence right now. And, you know, they came back last year and they won two years ago. They came back last year and they had a tough game against LSU. I mean, they definitely didn't get like completely mollywopped, but like they held their own. Um, and again, Clemson's in the ACC, so they can cruise through that. Sure. Georgia at six is interesting too. They they had quite a few guys literally get drafted by the Giants this year. So I don't know. Yeah, but Georgia just like they create talent every year. They just always have like NFL ready guys that just yeah you know, pushing yeah. in the ranks. This will be fun. I, I really can't comment any further because I've done uh, admittedly no research on college football this year yet. So this will be fun to follow because uh, we will. For sure, be making some picks of like games of the week and stuff like that that you should probably put some money on. But um, good stuff all around. So that's balls. We we really don't have anything else um, before we hop into Marcus because we cover a lot of these topics with Marcus as well. We're talking the NFL um, and his personal business story, which is great. Uh, Marcus Ogden, as we mentioned, is our guest this week. He, where to begin with him? He, he's a great guy, funny character, uh, NFL lineman. He's the brother of Hall of Famer Jonathan Ogden from the Ravens. Um, wasn't the, you know, like a superstar O-lineman or anything. He didn't have a long career, didn't make the Pro Bowl, all this stuff. But he was uh, about a five- or six-year veteran, uh, a journeyman, went into the business side of things, literally lost everything and had to build himself back up from quite literally, I think he mentioned 400 bucks in his interview and that was all he had to his name. No assets, nothing. So a uh, great story that he has and we're excited for him to share it with you guys. So without further ado, let's hop into a good friend of ours, Marcus Ogden. All right, listeners, we have Marcus Ogden on episode 10, former NFL lineman who is now a awesome entrepreneur. He's a keynote speaker. He's a consultant. He's a coach. He's helping everyone out um, and just an all-around great guy. Marcus, how you doing? Doing well. Well, how about yourself? Doing okay this, uh, this is a great day? Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful Sunday. You know, the sun's out. We're in trying to stay positive of everything, so can't complain over here. Same here, man. This guy, I just had a nice little one-hour walk to uh, Lowe's, not that far from where I'm staying right now. Uh, we're actually closing on our new home uh, next Friday, so, so we're staying with my in-laws right now, which is, <laughs> I love, love my in-laws, but God knows I want my own place. <laughs> well, yeah, congratulations on the new home. That's awesome. That is that is awesome. So good luck with everything with that, and yeah, the in-laws, I uh not married yet, but I definitely understand. Uh, I definitely understand that uh, that aspect. I saw the look on your face. So I know you get it. <laughs> uh, so, Marcus, we want to start off this interview. Uh, we have a lot of great things to cover between your time in the NFL and everything you've done after that. So, just kind of going back, you you know, you grew up. Football ran in your family. Uh, your mm -hmm. brother was ended up being a Hall of Famer. And you began mm -hmm. as a lineman at Howard. What was your journey into the game of football? And tell us about your time uh, from college to the NFL. 
So for me, my career started when I was a 13-year-old freshman in high school. I went to a very uh, football-heavy high school called St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C. So they had a, a lot of amazing uh, teams like DeMatha, Gonzaga. Just so you all can kind of reference, uh, Chase Daniels, the number two pick overall this year at Ohio State, he's a DeMatha graduate. Um, uh, there's a kid named Terrell, uh, Terrell Pryor, who was a third-round draft pick to the Rams, and um, he went to St. John's. So, I mean, there's just a ton of uh, football talent. Oh, and Dwayne Haskins uh, for the Redskins, he went to uh, DeMatha as well. So, you know, the, uh, like in my class, eight of us ended up going to the National Football League. Eight kids from all across the conference went to the NFL. Brian Westbrook. Uh, for the Eagles, to Zach Hilton. So, and for me, high school was really difficult because we had so many phenomenal football players. And to tell you the truth, I wasn't a standout. I mean, I was a good player, but I didn't stand out because I didn't grow to be about almost six foot six until I left high school and got to college at Howard. So I was very fortunate and blessed that Howard saw enough in me to give me a full scholarship. Got the scholarship, went to Howard, ended up being a four-year starter uh, as a redshirt freshman. So I graduated at offensive line, played tackle, and I ended up playing center my last sixteenth of my senior year when one of my good friends tore his knee, and I had to go in there and play center. Uh, from there, I you know went to the Hula Bowl, and I was playing against some guys from all across Texas to Rice University to Florida State. Uh, my head coach was uh, Mac Brown, who's now the head coach of the North Carolina uh, Chapel Hill Tar Heels. And on the other side was Larry Coker, who was the head coach at Miami at the time. And we both, and I don't know if you guys probably guys don't know if you know, but Miami at that time was just a powerhouse. Like, you know, Ed Reed to Willis McGahee to Ray Lewis to- Dwayne The Rock. Dwayne The Rock you know, all, all these guys, man, were, were um, you know, were Miami guys. But, and so it was great. I had a great uh, hula bowl and was a, a starter at ta right tackle, had a phenomenal game. Uh, that helped me get drafted into the NFL by the Jaguars. And um, I remember getting that phone call from Jack Del Rio uh, that you are now a Jaguar. And uh, that was the beginning of my NFL career once that phone call was uh, completed. <laughs> That's incredible. I think – it must have been so hard, even with all your experiences with playing with these guys. And obviously we know DC and the Maryland area, they're huge football areas. So like you were just saying, you know, DeMatha, St. John's, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. What do you think even still, when you got to the NFL, what was the hardest part about adjusting from the college game? Because you were obviously a standout at Howard. You had trained and been coached by these guys, but there's still a huge gap uh, in the skills and the um, just the the two types of games pretty much. So I'm curious to see what your hardest part was from college football to the NFL. The hardest part, I would say almost every athlete would tell you if they're honest, is the speed of the game. You know, you're playing, uh, it's a much faster, fast paced game. And then if you're like a 21, 22 year old young, you know, male. You're certainly you're not a man. You're like a young male. You're playing against guys that are going to be 28, 29, 30. Sometimes, you know, at the peak of their physical capabilities, and they're grown men. So they're a lot faster. 
they're usually a lot stronger. Uh, they've been around the game now. What's going to help you for them is that they've been, their buys have been worn out a little bit. They've had wear and tear. So you're able to kind of balance it out because you are young and you can recover a lot faster and you should be able to get to the field, practice early, have a long practice. You should be able to recover and get out to the next practice and be better healed. But they have the advantage of, you know, being stronger and being, you know, more uh, apt to understand what has to be done to play at the NFL level. So it's a trade-off. But the hardest thing to adjust to by far is the speed of the game. And also, everybody is good. Like in college, you know, you have some guys on your team. You know, all your stars should be good for the most part. And then after that, it's a huge drop-off. Well, in the NFL – yeah, your stars are, are, are the best, but you're, even your backup guys who are coming in and playing and rotating in, they're, they're good. I mean, there's not, uh, a, you know, and of course there'd be some huge, you know, uh, talent is, uh, you know, fall off a little bit as far as, you know, a, a, a Hall of Famer to a, a starter. But when you talk about just people that can come in and get the job done, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a much faster-paced game uh, in the NFL. And then when you got drafted, too, I'm – you, you just said, you know, you'll never forget Jack Del Rio calling you up. What did Jack Del Rio say to you, and what was your reaction? Uh, I, I knew Jack from when I was 17. I was with, when he was with the Ravens, when my brother was with the Ravens. Uh, they won a Super Bowl that year. Uh, so I knew Jack for a long time. But still to hear his voice on the phone and tell me that, tell everybody else to stop calling. You can get on a phone call. You're now a Jaguar. For me, it was phenomenal. And it was, you know, it was my – it was kind of like that sign that all the hard work I did through training, through lifting, to going to Maui, to playing, to practice. I mean, because, man, this is back in the 2000s. Man. Like, you know, even in the All-Star game, we practiced two times a day. And then, you know, practice was not like, oh, you're in the Pro Bowl practice. We're just having fun and all that. Like, you're going out there and you're putting it, you know, everything you've got to the wall because you're being evaluated even on how you practice, not just the game, but how do you practice? How do you handle yourself? Uh, do you get injured a lot? Can you pick up this, uh, the plays quickly? Are you a team player? I mean, I'll never forget this, man. You know, my quarterback, and y'all are going to know his name very well, my quarterback on that Hula Bowl team was Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Yep, yep. He was our quarterback. You know, he was Texas Tech at the time, and he was a gunslinger. And, uh, you know, he was a phenomenal guy. And he got drafted into the Patriots and played for a while as a backup. And, of course, he got to the wrong place. But uh, still, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was on my team. So having to adjust to blocking for him uh, was different because everything he threw, which was great for me, everything he threw was like three-step, bam, it was gone. So for me, it was a great adjustment. But still, it was an adjustment. So hearing Jack, you know, his voice on the phone was like, okay, you now are at the table. You can sit down. You can pull your seat back, and it's time to go to work. So when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite teams? Obviously, probably when your brother entered to the league, you became you know, a Ravens fan, and you fought along with him. But what were some of the teams that you enjoyed watching when you were growing up? And on top of that, who were some of the players that you looked up as and like, oh, I love this guy as a player? And then also in your own position, like, oh, I love this lineman's technique. Oh, well, so my team was the Redskins, without a doubt. The player I enjoyed watching was Art Monk, uh, for sure. But the player that I kind of like, he was a little bit older than my uh, uh, brother at the time. Uh, the player I really enjoyed kind of watching, of course, I mean, 
Yeah, I would have to say that my brother was the player for Lyman because I didn't really start watching football like that till high school. But if I'm going to go maybe a year or two before my brother got into the league, I'll have to probably say Larry Allen, you know, as a guard. You know, watching him play, you know, Larry Allen was, you know, a force. I mean, he, I mean here's, here's a guy that's six two and a half, you know, 350 pounds, and he was athletic enough for one of his seasons, or even two, if I'm not mistaken, he played left tackle. I mean, to go, I mean, I mean, that's, you know, that's unheard of. To be that, that, that height, that weight, and go out to left tackle, that just tells you how good he was. But at guard, I mean, there were just, you know, even guys like John Randall to Warren Sapp, you know, all these phenomenal great D-tacks like, nope, the one guy that didn't want to go against was Larry Allen. I mean, he bench pressed, like, damn, they're 700 pounds. So, once he got his hands, it was, it was a wrap. So, Larry Allen, my brother for the technique. Doug Williams was my favorite player to watch growing up. And, of course, growing up in D.C., I was a Redskins fan. Are you still a Redskins fan now? Oh, um, yeah. They're, they're going to be my, my second team. So, I, I, Ravens number one because me and my brother. Redskins two. And then I always had a love uh, for Detroit just because of Barry Sanders at three. So, it's always been, you know, uh, the Ravens, the Redskins, and uh, the, uh, the Lions. Has living in Carolina made you tempted to root for the Panthers at all or no? No, not really. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, I, have, I have a kid uh, I've done some work with. He actually, he was on the, he was starting on the offensive line for the Panthers. And now he just, um, they didn't, the, the Panthers didn't read, didn't pick up his option, which I kind of thought would happen, unfortunately. Uh, but he's got another chance. He's at, in Buffalo. So uh, he has a chance to go up to Buffalo. But, you know, Buffalo has stacked their team pretty well. I mean, like, they're, they're gearing up. I mean, they're gearing up to really, you know, become a force in the AFC East. Now that Tom Brady's moved on, um, you know, I see, uh, I see this happening. And people are telling uh, the Patriots to sign Kaepernick. I'm like, and I, I believe that would be a good talent fit for them. I don't, I don't even know who the Patriots' starting quarterback is. Who is it, by the way? It's either Stidham or uh, yeah. Brian Hoyer. They don't know yet. Brian Hoare or who else? Garrett Stidham, Stidham. The, uh, the kid from Arkansas, right? Was he Arkansas or? I don't, I wow. forgot what school he went to, but he was a wow, rookie last year. This is yeah. bad. We're, uh, we're, we live in Providence and he lives like a couple blocks away from us and we don't even know. <laughs> this is not good. If they, if they don't sign Kaepernick to come in there and make some, uh, make some plus, I mean, what do you have to lose? Like, I mean, yeah. at this point, why not? You know, but because again, one thing Bill Belichick hates more than anything is losing. And if you yeah. have Brian Hoyer as your quarterback, no disrespect to Brian, I mean, he's played a long time, but you go from Brady to Hoyer, it's going to be a huge drop-off. So the point I'm trying to make is, is that, you know, you know, uh, you know, Buffalo, you know, is gearing up with a guy who I work with at the Panthers, and I supported him and cheered for him. But, you know, uh, the Panthers just, I mean, you know, it just wasn't. I mean, I'm in Raleigh, so, I mean, that's two and a half hours away. I mean, it is the hometown state, but – I mean, there's nothing here in the Raleigh area where I'm like, let's go to a game or in that. So I've always nothing like that. Would you say hey, you got like, NC State football though? Yeah, NC State, a couple other things like uh, Duke. Yeah, Duke yeah, and UNC yeah, down yeah. there too. Yeah, I watch. I mean, I, I, I watch state football. I have a couple kids that I know of state. Uh, actually, uh, I had a line I was working with a little bit that I was just finished up, and he didn't get a call. I got to him too late to help him out with technique. And you know, I, have a, I have a kid who I trained in high school who's now going to be a redshirt junior who's uh, trying to push to start maybe O-line uh, for state uh, guard center. And, you know, and they've got some good – they got some good players. And when I was heavily coaching back in the day, like when I first got here, 
I had a lot of kids that were like, you know, coach all, I mean, I was coaching like probably from, I probably coached damn near 300, 300 kids in the last, you know, once between 2013 and 2019 when I was coaching the division, I practiced about 300 kids. So I would always go to like high school games. And I even myself coached at Campbell for a little bit under Mike Men, who played for the, uh, who played for the Panthers as a safety. So again, man, like I said, you know, uh, state's good. You know, there's Chapel Hill uh, here. One of my, one of our family's great friends, and he played in the NFL for 12 years. Roman Oban played for the, uh, for the Browns and for the, uh, for the uh, Giants and for uh, the, uh, you know, San Diego. His son is actually going to be a, uh, a true sophomore DN at Duke. So, I mean, there's a lot of good football around the area, man. But I'm just, I'm just you know, it's, 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 it's a good mix of college, you know, but there's no pro. But it's a good mix of training, you know. I said Duke, NC State, Chapel Hill. There's a lot of good football that around, that's around my area. So, let's head into, you know, you started your career in the NFL. And your life after football was probably, <coughs> I would say, your most impactful and where you're, you know, really starting to expose yourself to more of a market. So tell us your story of how you founded Caden Premier Enterprises and mm -hmm. tell us about that business venture and what you learned from it. So I started Caden Premier Enterprises about six months after retiring from the NFL when I wasn't prepared to retire. I had a back injury and some things happened and I couldn't perform at the physical high level that I knew I needed to to play football in the NFL. So I moved into construction and I built a massive organization off three main principles, which I tell people all today, these are the three things you need to do for any business to be successful. Operational excellence, quality product, excellent customer service. And I did that. And I became the largest African-American subcontractor in the city of Baltimore State in Maryland, the area of site work for two years. Uh, and it was great and I loved it. But unfortunately, my love of money and my love of power and my love of being, you know, the golden child of Baltimore um, and the nightclub partier and everything else you can think of, that really took over. And who I was as a person that I was very humble in the beginning when I started the company and I was very eager to listen and learn. I stopped doing that in 2012. And as a result of that, a lot of my best employees, you know, picked up on the culture that I was setting and they started to leave the organization. And when my best employee left, between my best employee leaving and then the project that I was doing for a big, a big client called Turner Construction, where I spent about two and a half million dollars of my own money, company's money, in less than 90 days that when I thought I was gonna get paid back the change order, which I was hopeful they were gonna do when they, sit, when they shook my hand, the developer and the contractor, you know, denied my change order. The developer said no to the change order. It pushed down to the uh, contractor, which pushed down to me. So at the time, I had nothing left. I was bankrupt and I, I was broke. And I ended up having to leave Baltimore uh, in 2013. I started packing up in February and I got on a, um, I got into a rental and I found a company with, with my last dollars. I mean, that's what I did. I, I paid a moving company. We found a rental in North Carolina. I put down first month's deposit. We've got gas to get down there. Once I had paid the movers, which was like $2,400 to move all our stuff from Maryland down to, you know, it was like five states away down to Carolina. You know, I had let it look in the bank account, gentlemen about four hundred dollars 
that was it. Credit cards maxed out. They were no good. Uh, no friends, no family. The house was foreclosed on. When I arrived in North Carolina uh, you know, at, at the rental, I think it was like five, it was between five to seven days late. I was just to say approximately a week later, the repo man, or repo men, excuse me, they both came, it was one for each car. They took both cars off of our driveway in the same day. So the house in Baltimore foreclosed on, both cars repossessed the same day. And we literally had $400 in our name. And what happened was the NFL was able to pay, you know, our bills for four months. So we took my first check from Merrill Lynch, which wasn't much. Uh, and we went and we went to a car dealership and we were able to get a Nissan Altima at like 35% interest. Like it was like a 2005 car that was worth like 8000 by the time it tacked the interest on, because I had a bankruptcy, well, they, they could see I had a bankruptcy. It was getting ready to loan to, to to take you know take shape. My wife, had, my fiance, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife. Um, she had one, and so they it ended up being like the car was damn near like fourteen thousand dollars that we had to pay on month because it was eight of the car. It was almost between five to six thousand of interest that we had to tack oh on. We had such poor credit, everything else. And uh, that's what we did. We were able to just, we just basically, you know, did, you know, did that. And that's kind of how it, you know, it shaped out. So, yeah, that's what it was. It's a story that you've brought up, um, you know, in your speaking endeavors, which we'll dive into a little bit later. But um, it, it's so humbling almost to understand, you know, where you came from and where you're at now, which is obviously a much more comfortable place where you're in a routine and you've really um, – <laughs> come from quite honestly you know everything to nothing to you know having a normal life again so although that venture failed and you, you've clearly taken some good lessons from there that you've brought up uh, quite often what do you think are the biggest lessons from that failure that you're using now in your everyday life there's three things one i'm never mesmerized by success that's exactly what happened to me with Caden. number two is i never stop listening to anybody I can always learn and do more and number three I don't think I'm the best at what I do I always can get better I always can move forward I can always evolve into a better person and a lot of people you look at that have have success a lot of them uh, have failed in some business before that or whatever they did or something made them realize that you know, what I was doing, you know, I was successful, not, it's not working. For example, my client is signed of MJ. He said he was a millionaire by 24, broke by third, broke by 28. Then he lost it. Then he had to rebuild his life. He was a millionaire by the time he turned 34. Then he lost it all again at 40. And now he's 63 or 64 years old. And he's working as a telemarketer for his brother in Orlando. And he's had to start all over. And he hired me to help him with some, you know, trying to grow a speaking business. He's got a great story. But, you know, he's 64 trying to restart his life over. And, you know, I'm going to support him the best way that I can. Be there as his coach and help him advise him. But even he told me that, you know, that's what happened to him is every time he made a bunch of money, he got mesmerized by the success. He stopped learning. He started thinking he was the best. And he didn't stay on track. And that reminds me exactly of Caden. I mean, I'm just very fortunate it happened to me when I was, I went bankrupt at 32. 
I took a job as a custodian at 32. I started doing football training and being a custodian at 33. And then I left the custodian job and went to basically still doing, you know, working for um, you know, football training and trying to speak. And then I got my first paid job as a speaker when I, at, 30, at 35. And, and so it's basically for 30, for two and a half years, I did get one for time because I was 30, no, 32, no, what, 33 to 35 and a half. I didn't get one paid speaking job, but I still pursued it, but I worked other things, but it was difficult. It was really hard. So I tell you all the time, the number one thing you can never do is you can never get mesmerized by your early success. If you do that, that's the beginning of the end. That's such a, I mean, you just inspired me even more. You know, I feel that, you know, Jake and I are both in, you know, we're just graduated college last year and, you know, we're starting our career paths and we're doing so many other endeavors and it, it, you just, you, you make a good point. They just kind of just hit home. It's like, you know, definitely, although sometimes you feel like you're on the top of the world, definitely bring yourself down and always continue to learn and uh, explore new ideas. And you made a great point. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so to continue, to continue on with your story in the next stage of your career, as you mentioned, you talked about your new endeavors into public speaking. So how has that changed your beliefs in the business and your career trajectory? And tell us a little bit more on like what you speak on and some of the things you tell different, uh, people you're presenting to. So I keynote speak for many audiences. I've, I've worked for 15, well, it'll be 15 in this month, 15 Fortune 500 companies in the last three and a half to four years. Companies like Axe Advisors to the Home Depot to JP Morgan Chase to I just got hired by Manpower Group, the third largest staffing company in the world. And I speak on multiple of topics. It could be how to build your book of business successfully. It could be how to succeed at my using my acronym sales. It could be on how to establish growth and processes and systems around things like internal communication, external communication. It could be on career value drivers. It could be on diversity and inclusion. Uh, it could be on my book, The Success Cycle. You know, it's, it's an array. I don't limit myself. People say, oh, you should get a niche and stick to it. Well, you know, that's fine. You can do that. But re remember, if that niche runs out, you're in trouble. I mean, one of my good friends, good friends that I'm going to do some work with when we get out of this, 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 this COVID stuff, you know, he's up in, uh, in the Ontario, Canada area. He said, you know, he sticks in one major industry, which is trucking. And, you know, as we were of COVID, he said the trucking industry took a major hit. He lost 85% of his business, of his coaching business. Between April, when this whole thing started to now, I probably signed on an additional 70%. I've grown by probably 70% of client base in the one-on-one -on -one coaching aspect because I coach people that might want to be speakers. I coach, people that might, I coach people that might want to become better leaders. I coach people that might want to work on, you know, uh, how to become, uh, how to really help grow and scale their business. It, I could be coaching somebody that is in the real estate business and needs to know how to make connections. I could be coaching someone um, who really wants to do more on the consulting side, but they don't know where to start. It could be somebody like MJ that wants to you know, build a speaking business while they're doing their current job. So the, the fact that I've worked so hard, and, I've been, I've, and Jake knows this too, uh, I've, cause I've known, I met Jake in 2000, was that 17, Jake? We, we, I think I, that, I was, uh, 20, that was 2016, man, yeah. 16. Yeah, 16. 
I mean, man, look, I mean, I've been doing social media stuff since, you know, since you met me. And so it, the social selling is so important and people forget that because everybody started going to all the platforms and posting a bunch of stuff when COVID hit. And they were expecting everybody to sign up for them and buy their newsletter or buy their programs. And I'm like, man, look, you haven't posted anything consistently at, at all. Now, because of COVID, because you can't go anywhere, now you're going to go start posting you're going to do it by jamming things down my throat. And I'm like, dude, I don't want what you're buying, what you're selling right now. I don't know you. So we have picked up a ton of business through social selling. But the key is it's not aggressive social selling. It's putting out content, putting out things that are relatable, putting out things that, you know, intertwine with the times that are trendy, that are educational, family, whatever the case may be. And you build a rapport with people that you never met. Like, I have a guy tomorrow, I have a guy that's I'm probably going to sign up his two sons to coach them. And they're younger than you all. The one's 14, one's 17. But he wants to work with them on, like, goal setting and, and being, uh, uh, you know, being ahead of the game. I've known this guy for probably almost three years on LinkedIn. Just posting, posting, posting. And now on Friday, he said, Mark, I'm looking for you to coach my sons. What does that cost? Okay, well, I, I gave him a price. He said, okay, I'm going to talk with my boys. We'll talk Tuesday. They want to go for it. I'll pay them out and let's go to work. But again, people don't understand. They, they, everybody wants something quick and easy. So in my speaking business, I do, co- I do keynote speaking, executive coaching, consulting. I've written two books. I'm a brand ambassador and influencer, you know, and I, uh, for certain brands that make sense. But I've always been the person that it takes time to build your business. And if you don't want to put the time in, then don't start your business. That's awesome. Yeah, this is, this is all really great stuff. And I'm, I'm curious as well. One of the topics that is listed on your website and uh, that you go through pretty often is the diversity and inclusion of the workplace, right? Uh, sure. Today's times right now, that message is, is so important with everything going on in America. The... Uh, you know, the, the social justice um, movements that are taking place, uh, just a little bit more of the spotlight on, on police brutality and uh, systemic racism in America and things like that. Um, explain a little bit, you know, about your, uh, and you don't have to give us your keynote, of course, on it and make any spoilers, but um, we're curious to know what your views are on, on how to accomplish a, a more diverse uh, environment whether it's in the workplace or uh, in your own life or anything like that i think a lot of our listeners can benefit from something like that it's, it all starts with the number one with the number one step taking action to be around more people that are diverse you know you can't go out and scream diversity and inclusion diversity and inclusion if you only have one type of people that you hire and i'm talking about if you're an african-american company only hiring blacks if you are a caucasian company only hiring whites if you are a female company, you only want to hire a female. That's not diversity. That's not inclusion. You're not, you're not preaching. You're not practicing what you preach. So the way you have to do it is you have to get people that are qualified, that are, you know, that are educated, that fit your mold. And, this, and don't look at what they look like skin color-wise. Look at what can they do you know, from a, the job-wise. I know if I'm talking to someone that's white or black or Asian, I know that you're white, black, or Asian. I get it. And if you've been through something, I'm empathetic, and I think that's fantastic, right? You know, the fact that you're still strong enough to move forward is absolutely fantastic. And I'm empathetic towards what you've been through. But the big thing is, is that there has to be a meeting at the intersection of, you know, a personal responsibility 
and empathy, and empathy. So people have to take the personal responsibility to work at their craft, to be deemed good enough to sell their services to a vendor. The vendor has to be empathetic to know, well, what has that person been through? What have they gone through? What have they faced in their life? Okay, they're qualified to have it all, but I might have to be a little bit more empathetic and a little more you know, compassionate to what they've dealt with so, and let them know that I'm here for them, I can hear them, then I can make this work. So again, you have to be at the intersection of personal responsibility and being empathetic. And if brands can do that from a diversity standpoint, look at people for what they can do, not who they are, what their skin tone is, but look to hire people that can help you. Because again, one of my big clients is PNC Bank. And PNC Bank talks about diversity will always improve your bottom line. Companies that are diverse have more, have, you know, have they create more revenue. They have a better profitability at their bottom line because people can relate to those types of people in those organizations. And that's why PNC Bank is steadily rising up the ranks because they've always been preaching diversity and a lot of other banks have not. So it's not about just preaching it, it's about practicing what you preach and then just getting out of your comfort zone and hiring people based upon their qualifications. And then that person that's being hired has a personal responsibility to execute the task they were hired for. It's a great message. I think a lot of companies and, and people get tripped up with it too, because just because it's, uh, it's a relatively sensitive topic, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable because it, that's the way it should be. Um, and we talked about that last week a little bit, um, for sure. And that's a conversation that we're, we're going to keep having with our guests, you know, to bring the, the issues of America to the forefront, for sure. Um, transitioning back to the NFL now, Marcus, um, COVID-19, first of all, hopefully, we didn't even ask, hopefully you guys are doing well and safe and hopefully your family is, uh, you know, been good. That's great. You know, um, so with this pandemic, we're at a standstill. You've got sports slowly creeping back. You've got July 30th mm -hmm. for the NBA. You've got the NFL relatively on target for August. From an athlete standpoint, from a guy that's played professional football, how do you think the NFL is going to operate this upcoming year? And, you know, with these proposed safety measures, how do you think the players are going to be impacted too? Oh, it's going to be interesting. It'll be a lot more testing. Uh, a lot of players have to go through a lot of testing probably weekly or something even maybe more frequently. But from what I'm hearing, for the first six to eight weeks of the season, there may be no fans in the stands to reduce the risk of COVID spreading even more. And I think the, the protesting, which I'm fully in support of, the riots I am not in support of, I think the riots and the protesting are going to make it longer because our numbers are sky high. I mean, you know, even though I'm fully for protesting, you cannot social distance during protesting. So a lot of people, I think, are getting COVID and contracting it, don't even know as if they either have it or giving it away to people, and our numbers are high. And so I think it's going to delay fans getting back into the stands because it's going to be a longer process. So I believe... From what I'm hearing, looking at potentially, you know, for football, I can see playing out of sport, six to eight weeks potentially with no fans in the stands in the National Football League. And that's going to be a very interesting thing because it's never happened before. So I don't know. And even when we do get fans back, are we only going to have a third or a half of the stadium capacity? I, I don't know. I mean, I know owners are going to be very stressed out because – they make money off ticket sales, vendors, you know, shirts, all this great stuff, you know, training camps. 
I don't think any team's having fans in training camp. Those teams, they, they make a good, you know, maybe, you know, 20 to $30 million sometimes, you know, after all the training camp, you know, things that people buy stuff, they buy the, the memorabilia, all that's gone. So I'm interested to see how this breaks down going forward. And they're buying $12 beers while they're watching Tom Brady throw a, uh, throw a football to Edelman. Right. Or something yeah, like yeah. That, you know? There's so much revenue going to be lost. It's unreal. It's just unreal. So we, we've got only got a couple of minutes left here, Marcus. Um, let's, let's do a fun question real quick, and then we'll close out. Um, you're a big food guy. We know that. You, every time you come up to Rhode Island, we try to spoil you and take you out to a nice meal because we know you'll appreciate it. Um, if you had to pick your last meal, let's say you, you, are, you know that you're going to be off the earth tomorrow and you get one last meal, what's your, what, what do you use your go-to here? Well, you know, uh, I would have to go with, man, I have to go with the, with the seafood, a seafood special, man, like a, like a seafood buffet. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I got to go with, like, you know, the crab legs, the lobster, the scallops, the shrimp. I mean, I can't just pick one plate. I got to go with the seafood buffet where I can get what I want. If I know I'm not going to be here tomorrow, at least I'm going to go happy. So I would say a seafood buffet. <laughs> That's, that's a, a great pick. selection. Yeah, that's a good pick. <laughs> and next time you're in New England, we'll definitely treat you to some seafood because oh, I don't know wow. how the seafood is in uh, North Carolina, but <laughs> it's, 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 it's good on the coast, like Wilmington, you know, by the ocean. It's really good. But in Raleigh, eh, yeah, not really. <laughs> uh, I can't. <laughs> so awesome. This was a great interview, Marcus. So thank you so much to close out. Uh, where can our listeners find you and connect with you, whether it's, you know, social or your website. So tell us where our listeners can find your content. Yeah, they can go to the best place to go is my website, www.marcusmarqesogden.com. Go there. And if you do go there right now, when you go to the website, when you open it up, we're giving away a free course called Mental Toughness Over Physical Limitations. It's normally a $74 value. We're giving away right now completely free, trying to help people persevere and have mental toughness to kind of push through this COVID uh, scenario that's going on in our, in our globe, unfortunately. So if you go there, you can get access to that free mental toughness course uh, right now. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, Marcus Ogden. Uh, Twitter is at Marcus underscore Ogden. My Instagram is at Marcus Ogden, and then my Facebook is Marcus Ogden. So you can find me on any of those platforms. But again, go to the website. And when you come to the homepage, just go ahead and put your name and your email, and you'll have free access to our mental toughness course. Marcus, we can't thank you enough, man. You, you're always a pleasure, and you're always welcome back on the show to talk uh, NFL or, or anything. So thank you so much, man. Uh, appreciate you, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, fellas. Have a good one. You too. Good luck on the new home. Yeah, you too, man. Appreciate it. That was just Marcus Ogden. Great interview with him. One of those people that when you hear him talk, you know, you just gravitate to his voice and what he has to say. He's always so positive. Um, just an overall electric guy. So we were very lucky to have him. And we'll definitely have him on in the future. And always great to speak with him. Like he mentioned, you know, he came up to Brian to speak at Be Unique way back when. And that's pretty much what launched his speaking career. And he has just been just a positive source in the workforce and just an overall great person. So really thankful we had him on the pod. Yeah. Marcus is a good guy. And I texted with him after and 
you know, that was a great interview. Thanks for having me. And I go, yeah, we're going to have to have you on when the season comes. Cause I, I'm genuinely interested. I know the Marcus that talks about his business endeavors and his, um, just, you know, a very surface level of his football career, but he's also, people forget, he also coaches and mentors young kids that are trying to get recruited to play football. So he's a very, very knowledgeable guy when it comes to the sport. He's got some baller stories that I'm not sure are podcast appropriate because he might be throwing some people under the bus, but he had stories about all his boys, like Rasheen Mathis was one when he played with the, um, with the Jaguars. We should have asked him about that story because that was fun, but they would just drive black Escalades all around Jacksonville, like, because they were the shit. They were the shit back then. It was him and Rasheen Mathis that were the stud rookies. So uh, he, he's a good one, man. I, I'm, I'm happy we got him. Yeah. And now we close out with our positivity corner. And we mentioned a lot of good stuff on this pod, but I got one for all of our Outer Banks fans out there. <laughs> oh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so we have the couple the romantic love in the show john b and sarah cameron they're real life actors chase stoke and madeline uh celine are dating in real life and that's fucking crazy that's what it's all about man just a summer in the outer bakes obx for life Full Pogue, fuck the kooks. It's it's, it's a modern day Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. That's what it's all about. So that's our positivity <laughs> corner, and that's where we close out. That's a quick positivity corner, but what more positive? That might be our best. <laughs> I don't watch Outer Banks. I'm probably going to watch it because I just finished Ozark, which, by the way, fucking wild cliffhanger for season four. I don't know if have you watched Ozark yet or no? No, it's on my list. All right, so somebody important dies. I'll leave it at that. In the last, like, second of the last episode of season three. So, great stuff. <laughs> I And now Outer Banks is next, so I'm fucked. But <laughs> I'm going to be screwed with all these shows. Um, do you want to take a minute to use your vocal cords on the waves for the last time in a couple of weeks, or what? Well, Anything that we didn't cover that you want to get out before this? I used to sing in high school, so I'd love to maybe get back into the singing after I get these tonsils <laughs> out. Um, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just finally excited. It's, it, it's been a long road. I, I, I don't think I've had a good night of sleep in probably five years. You did say never a couple of days probably ago. Not. I mean, really. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I was talking about it with someone the other day. And when I, you know, I said that, I was like, you know what? Like, what if I've never had a good night of sleep? <laughs> you wouldn't know. You wouldn't I wouldn't know. know. I wouldn't know. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'll definitely be active on the social. Uh, we're cranking out a lot of blogs. The website will be up this week as promised and will be delivered. So even though we've been saying stuff. it for eight weeks. So no, but it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> I mean, I have the time on my hands. So yeah, overall, uh, that's all I got to say, man. I'm just, I'm just, thank you. Thank you for your service. Um, It's going to be a long two or three or, you know, God forbid more weeks than that. 10 day IL, 10 day IL. 10 day IL. We'll leave it at that. Hopefully we have you back in uh, for episode 12. (laughs) Don't push it. 
Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, Instagram's the.bbb.podcast. Replace the dots with underscores on Twitter and you've got beers, business, and balls on social. Uh, humble plug for myself. If you miss baseball as much as everybody else does, I'm hopping on the folks at ML Botball on Thursday. ML Botball is a Twitch and Twitter uh, streaming group, I guess, of every single game in the MLB uh, as if it were a full season on MLB The Show. So they source broadcasters from the community. I'm calling Mets-Cubs my favorite sports matchup of all time, besides Yankees-Red Sox, of course. Um, that'll be really fun. That's 5.30 on Thursday. Uh, we're on Twitch. Uh, that's ML Botball. So that, that'll be cool. Um, something to fucking distract us from the nothingness of baseball, uh, as we've mentioned on the episode today. But that's it for us. Uh, join us next week. We've got some killer guests for episode 11. That's Will. I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy. Thank you.